middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. You know, I cannot tell you how excited I am that we are officially into the month of March. It is Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast that is all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas and beyond. Because we are in the very first week of March, that means one thing. It means March Madness. And, uh, you know, we've got a huge show today talking about everything March Madness related and a whole lot more. We're going to get into that in just a little while. I'm Tommy Castor, joined with Weston Mills and Blake Cripps. And Blake, uh, I know that you're a little upset that you don't get to host two weeks in a row, but I figured <laughs> I? I would I figured I would give you the week off. How do you feel about yeah. that? Am I upset to not be hosting? I mean, I feel like I just do my best to not drown while hosting the show, trying to stay above the water of Weston's bad takes. I mean, I do the best that I can. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> Weston's bad hey, takes. I'm, Weston Mills, how do you respond to that? I mean, you know, I'm just really here to just sit here and be pretty anyway. So, you know, I just try to bring that to the podcast, to the video version. You know, someone's got to step up and, and and give, you know, just a little something to our, you know, overall appearance of the podcast. And, you know, Weston, I would never take that away from you. He's a fine-looking young man. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You're the you're the reason, Weston, why our YouTube numbers keep going up week in and week sure out. Sure as hell so is get, it because I of get, me. I guarantee you that. Sure as hell is that's it because true. of this screen. That's true. I guess, Weston, you can always hang your hat on that. And I, I'm sure it maybe helps you sleep better at night, right? <laughs> hey, you know, what? I've always been trying to find ways that I'm – providing bringing something i already had my little spiel earlier a couple episodes ago about uh realizing i was the dumb jock that's not a jock anymore so i gotta have you know something mentally to keep me sharp and keep me involved here yeah, something to, to keep you going day in and day out. Uh, hey, want to <laughs> remind you all to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get a notification. You can listen anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts on all the streaming platforms out there, like Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, all the major ones. You can find us right now, right there. You can also watch full episodes on our YouTube channel, Keeper of the Games. You can also go to our Facebook page by searching for Keeper of the Games, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G pod. Like I said, a lot to get to on this new episode, the first week of March of Keeper of the Games. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, not just college basketball, but also prep basketball. We've got details on state wrestling that happened last weekend, our Wichita whip around, and a whole lot more on this episode of Keeper of the Games. But we start things off with Wichita State University basketball news. It is March after all. It is March. March Madness almost here, and the Shockers are desperately clinging to a berth, an automatic qualifying berth in the NCAA tournament. And not just that, they have themselves a brand new permanent head coach in Isaac Brown. That happened uh, just a few days ago from, you know, just a couple days after our last episode, Isaac Brown was named the permanent head coach of Wichita State University. We'll get to that in just a few minutes, but literally minutes before we came on the air to record this podcast, the Shockers wrapped up their game on the road from New Orleans as they took on the Tulane Green Wave and Wichita State got a win on the road. Final score, 78 to 70. The Shockers move to 14 and 4 
overall. And uh, in this game, uh, you know, not only did Wichita State have a fairly comfortable lead throughout from basically opening tip to the final buzzer, but they had some great performances from guys like Trey Wade, who had 23 points. Dexter Dennis added 20 points. Uh, Tyson Etienne had 12 points. Uh, So some really great contributions for this game for Wichita State. And Blake, it's a win for the Shockers, a road win. I know Tulane is kind of the bottom tier of the American Conference, but wins are at a premium right now for Wichita State. So every win is important, especially a road win like this one. Yeah, we're going to get into the bracketology a little bit later, but certainly Wichita State needs to get these last two wins to give themselves the best chance to make it to March Madness. And they led by as many as 14. They had a great first half in this game. And I know that there are probably going to be some Shocker fans that are going to be feel a little bit concerned because Tulane was kind of allowed to hang around in the second half. Shockers never fell behind. Tulane got the lead down to five once. It was at six a couple of times in the last five minutes. But, you know, I never... I never got the feeling. And listen, you know, this is Isaac Brown headquarters in terms of the podcasting world. Okay. We're all IB fans. I know. So we're going to look at it for through a positive lens. Probably if you don't like Isaac Brown, then you probably don't like what we have to say, but I never got the feeling that the shockers were really in danger. You know, Tulane was able to, to get some shots. They got some second chance free throws and I, I never had a real fear in me that Wichita State was ever really going to lose this game. They played with composure. They didn't turn the ball over that much. Only had 12 turnovers. By the way, Gilbert was awful and terrific offensively. (laughs) He was dreadful shooting, one for 10, but he had 12 assists. He did have six turnovers, but 12 assists was fantastic. Obviously, he's going to need to be a little bit more, I think, of his own shot maker. And I think that if he can become a you know 40% three-point shooter, he was just one of seven today. Shockers, outside of Altariq Gilbert, guys, I mean, 13 for 31, 42% as a team. You take away his one for seven, they had a really good day shooting the three-pointer. And so I think that if... Gilbert can continue to distribute like he did today, shoot a little bit better from the outside. This is all of a sudden going to become a dangerous Wichita State team. And that's the difference between taking a what Tulane got it down to what five in the second half. It would have been a double digit lead probably for Wichita State. And in the NCAA tournament, having a guard like that that can distribute and hit open three point shots in the tournament. That's the difference between squeaking out a win, maybe against a team that you're not supposed to beat, or if you're the better seed against a team that's not supposed to beat you, and going home. Having a guy that can knock down. How many times have we seen throughout the tournament, throughout the years, when you have a guard that can hit three-point shots and big three-point shots? Bill Self talks about this all the time, about how basketball is very similar to tennis. All the points are worth the same. Layup at the beginning of the game is the same value as a layup at the end of the game, but in the context of a tennis match, in the context of a basketball game, there are some baskets that are bigger than others. There are some points in tennis that are bigger than others. And when you can hit those big baskets in clutch moments, Wichita State, that's going to keep them in the tournament. So overall, I liked what I saw from Wichita State today, plus nine on the glass. And you mentioned the great offensive performances. Uh, For me, Good job by Wichita State. Not tremendous defensively. Green Wave shot 44%. But like I said, Weston, for me, I never really had a fear that Wichita State was going to drop this game, even when it got down to two possessions there in the second half. 
you know, and especially with co- in college basketball and particularly the selection committee, it's it's not like football in a sense that really margin of victory is something that's even a concern. You know, wins are win in the game of basketball, and especially when any team on any given night can get hot. So to to say that they you know, squeaked by, and that, I'm not saying that that's even the case here, but to say they squeaked by Tulane is not really an issue. You know, they won. That's a win on the resume. You know, it's moving forward. Um, you know, I think maybe where you, I mean, if you were to have a discussion about margin of victory, that would, I would say it only would be if, you know, let, let's say Wichita State went into Baylor and blew Baylor out. Well, that's a statement type win, right? That catches somebody's attention. But otherwise, you know, if you're playing a lesser opponent, a, a win is a win is a win. So I, I'm with you on that. I, I think the, the thing that's most encouraging about tonight's win, and you touched on this, Blake, but if we look at, really just how diverse Wichita State was in in scoring. I mean, you know, Trey Wade had 12 shots. Uh, Tyson Etienne had 12 shots. Dexter Dinish had 12 shots. Alzreet Gilbert had 10 shots. When you are so diverse and really everybody other than Alzreet Gilbert was fairly efficient with their their shooting, that makes it so much harder to defend you as a team. You know, and frankly, I think – We've seen moments from Wichita State throughout the year where there's been somebody other than Tyson Etienne who has stepped up and it's, um, you know, kind of get someone here and there. But, you know, it was nice to see tonight Dexter Dennis with 20, you know, Trey Wade with 23. So not it wasn't just one guy stepping up. You had two guys stepping up in the scoring department. Uh, you know, Dexter Dennis obviously adding the 13 rebounds. They're going having a double-double, so huge performance out of him. And then, like you mentioned, Altrick Gilbert with those 12 assists, that's really where he needs to settle in. Um, and, I, and I get what you're saying. I mean, if, if he can shoot and score the basketball, uh, that's an extreme plus for them. And I think they become a, a seriously dangerous team um, as far as, you know, a matchup nightmare for somebody when they do get into the tournament. If you do have that Altrick Gilbert, you know, scoring, even if they don't, I love the way this team is starting to balance out with him running the offense, him kind of setting guys up, dishing things out. they're just playing some really, really nice basketball right now. And I just, I'm still at the point where I just have no doubt that they're getting into the tournament, you know, notwithstanding, I do think a loss at USF would alter that, but I don't, I'm not predicting that. Um, And then when they do get into the tournament, I really think there's going to be a lot of teams that don't want to see that Wichita state, uh, you know, 12 seed or whatever they end up being, you know, across from them in that first round, because I think they prove they prevent present a lot of nightmare matchups for a lot of different teams. You know, Blake, I, uh, I, I want to go back to something that you said. I think we need to start a tally on this program. Whenever you use a tennis analogy, when referring to basketball, <laughs> you, um, I, you know, because what? I, I just like using analogies that bill self loves. That's what I like. There you go. Not Fair only enough. are we, uh, which not are we, which one and only podcast. We are by far the most uh, tennis forward podcast. And in good all of on us too. for it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do think that you're right though. And, uh, you know, kind of looking at the way that, you know, the shockers played this game against Tulane, you know, I watched uh, a, a good portion of it, uh, had it on TV and especially in the first half, you know, like you mentioned, Wichita state, 
pretty much got whatever they wanted. You know, they had a 13 point lead at intermission and, you know, they did shoot the ball well, but so did Dulane. I mean, they, there were, they're, they're pretty even, you know, 45% from the field for Wichita state, 43% from the field uh, for Tulane. Um, you know, the, the green wave shot almost 47% from three shockers shot almost 42% from beyond the arc. I think the biggest Achilles heel though, in this game for Wichita state, the free throws shockers oh, were absolutely. only 11 well, they were only 11 for 24 from the charity stripe. And that might be a little bit of an issue moving forward. That might be something that needs to be shored up by Wichita state. The big difference maker and Blake, you said it in this game what was on the glass, how, you know, Wichita state out rebounded to lane 47 to 34. They were plus 13 on the boards. So they had to make that up somewhere. And of course they made up, you know, the, the, the lack of making free throws, they were able to make that up on on the boards. You know, I, I know kind of going back, Blake, a little bit to what we had talked about a few weeks ago about how it, it seemed like, you know, Wichita State, they were getting wins, but they were letting some teams hang around. Things weren't always great for Wichita State down the stretch. It almost seems like they're a little bit of a better first half team than they are second half team or late in a game team. They're getting wins, but as you alluded to, they, they do have a tendency to let teams hang around a little bit. How concerned are you about that as we get deeper and deeper into March? I mean, in the NCAA tournament, it's it's always a factor. You know, I, I always something that I like to say you know, when you have a lead of double digits at the half, you know, and, and you push it out to 20, the game is over unless the team that's down decides that it, unless either team decides it's not over. You know what I mean? If, if a yeah. team comes out of halftime and they say, you know, we're going to play. We're down by 20 at the half. We're down by 20 with 18 minutes to go. But we feel like playing still. And when a team does that, I saw this several times with Newman this year, particularly on the men's side. When they decide that they're going to play and and they're just going to let it fly and see what happens, if they make shots, they can get back into the game. The three-point shot is a great equalizer in college basketball. And free-throw shooting is definitely a part of it. The thing that I like about the Shockers is that they're getting to the line so much more often than their opponents. They have shot 104 more free throws than their opponents. Now, they've only made about 71 more than their opponents, and they're actually shooting a slightly like two thousandths of a percent worse than their opponents. And Tulane was, I think it's their, yeah, it's their worst free throw shooting game of the year by far. They had a couple early in the year, but you look back at the last four games, Tommy, they had shot over 76% from the line in all those games. And not only that, but they had shot over 20 attempts in three of those four games. So I'm not as concerned about the free throw, but yeah, if if you're asking me if I'm concerned about them letting teams in, yeah, they they need to try to put teams away for sure. I mean, you if you follow Haslametrics and he's got his table for analytically final, the percent, the, the spread that you need to be ahead by with a certain amount of time left in the game that gives you an overwhelming advantage. I think it's like 0.001% chance that you want to lose. Obviously, you want to hit that as early as possible. The flip side is while the Shockers have not been shooting free throws well, they ha- are on a bit of a hot streak from the three-point line. This is now the fourth straight game where Wichita State has hit at least 41% of their threes and they've attempted 17 threes in all four games of the stretch, 
and they've hit at least 10 three-pointers in two straight games after going 10 for 22 against Houston. So if you have to pick between not shooting as well from the free throw line or not shooting well from the three-point line, obviously you'd like to shoot well from both. I'd like to see the three-point shots hit at a, at a great clip. And so that gives me a little bit more, I guess, it makes me more at ease because while the Shockers had a terrible day at the free throw line, they're shooting really well from the outside. If they continue that to the American Athletic Conference tournament, they may be cutting down the nets before they go into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Weston, I don't know if you've got, you know, really any additional thoughts about that. I mean, if they're if you've got any concern ever about the fact that in some cases, Wichita State, they do let teams hang around a little bit. Um, and really, especially getting into March, they need to ice games at the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, I guess I don't have – I mean, you know, you have to win the basketball game, right? And as long as you're winning the basketball game, that's really all that matters here. So I, I just don't think at this point there's going to be any concern – as far as point spread getting into the tournament, granted, we only have one game left, right? So there's only one game in which they can have a, a close, uh, you know, margin of victory and, and to suggest that it might affect the outcome of them getting into the tournament. But I, I'm really not concerned about it. I think as long as you close out, uh, that that's really all that matters. And, and they're doing that here. So, um, you know, I, I think they're going to be in a good position going into March. I, I like what, Bla- you know, like what Blake is saying, they're getting hot at the right time. And that feels what college basketball is all about. So uh, don't worry, Blake, I'll uh, make sure to point out when I don't think your, uh, your points are good and th- those are coming up. Question. So where's the accurate take on this week? I mean, God, we haven't heard it yet. Jeez. I, th- I thought it would be blaring by now. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I, 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 I use pretty good discretion when it comes to, uh, <laughs> to hitting that, to hitting that hot take horn for sure. So the shockers right now, they stay in first place in the American Conference with an overall record of fourteen and four. Their conference record is ten and two right now. And guys, as you uh, as you talked about, a little bit of a schedule change for the Shockers here coming up this weekend. So one more home game for Wichita State, as the road game at Temple that was scheduled for this weekend has been canceled. Instead, the Shockers are back inside Coke Arena this Saturday for a noon tip against USF. And and Blake, I was reading uh, an article on. ESPN this morning about the coaching carousel uh, in college basketball and about how that carousel, you know, tends to go pretty crazy every single year at this time. Uh, And, you know, it's one of those things where I I was, I'm reading through the list and I'm seeing names like Archie Miller at Indiana and, you know, some other big names that might, you know, Bruce Weber was on the list, Um, you know, but there, there have been some, some questions about what's going on at USF. I don't know how much you have followed that program at all, what you know about them, other than just the fact that this is going to be obviously another crucial game for Wichita State to get a victory going into the conference tournament. I I can't say that I have followed South Florida. However, I do remember the Balls game earlier this year on the road in Tampa. And you'll recall, Tommy, that was a five-point overtime win for Wichita State in that game. Shockers did not particularly shoot the ball well in the first half. They were held to 22 first half points. Now, the second half was a completely different story. They were down 29-22 at the half. Shockers erupted, scored 48 points in the second half, but they also gave up 41. And typically, when you're watching these games, if you track the offense – 
I've never, I don't know why this is. I'm guessing it has something to do with fatigue and probably it's easier to play offense when you're tired than defense when you're tired, but scoring typically goes up in the second half. But Wichita State in the first half of that, of that game was absolutely dreadful. They were one of 10 from the three. They shot 28%. So I don't think that Wichita State is so good that they can just overlook teams. I don't I don't think that that's the case. And South Florida's got nice players. David Collins had a fantastic game against Wichita State the first time, 17 points. He basically camped out at the free throw line, 10 of 14 from the line against Wichita State. And they had a couple of guys that grabbed 14 rebounds. South Florida pretty much cleaned Wichita State's clock on the glass last time, out-rebounded him by 15, and Wichita State gave up 19 offensive rebounds in this game. So they're going to have to do a much better job on the glass. They're going to have to eliminate uh, and limit second-chance points. Thank goodness they only gave up 18 second-chance points on 19 offensive rebounds and were able to get 12 of their own, or else we might have be having a way different conversation if Wichita State had lost that game in overtime on the road. So this is a team to be reckoned with. Now, I'm not going to say that South Florida is going to come in and give the Shockers a game. I'm not saying that this is going to be particularly close. I like Wichita State's chances. In fact, I love Wichita State's chances to win this by 10 points very comfortably and have a nice net-cutting ceremony for the brand-new head coach of Wichita State to end the year. But if you show up and you don't have your headspace in the right place, this is a game that could get you beat. And a game like this, I don't know how close we are to the bracketology segment of this program today, Tommy. I don't want to see what that looks like if if they lose this game on Saturday, but I'm not predicting that's going to happen at all. Yeah, absolutely. USF comes into this game on Saturday, losers of three straight games. They're four and nine in the conference, eight and eleven overall. Um, you know, they're they're in the bottom of the pack uh, for the American. But as you mentioned, you know, on on their home court, they gave Wichita State a game not that long ago. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what ends up happening on Saturday inside Coke Arena. Again, tip for that game is at noon. And Blake, it's per- a perfect transition. You alluded to it. The new head coach for Wichita State, Isaac Brown, uh, just several days ago, officially formally named permanent head coach. For Wichita State, he is the first African-American head coach in Shocker basketball history, uh, which is outstanding um, and and really neat that uh, we're at that point now. Uh, that That's just awesome. And of course, Isaac Brown is well-deserving of the position at Wichita State. Uh, as we have said multiple times, we are a pro-IB podcast. Um, yes, I think all th- I think all three of us were advocating for Isaac Brown to be named the permanent head coach. And uh, I'd like to think Darren Bro- Boatwright is an avid listener of our program. Um, <laughs> and it was probably something that we said, or actually more specifically something that I said that really pushed him into the right direction to give Isaac Brown the head coaching position. I think that's actually probably what happened. Uh, but at any rate, Isaac Brown has, uh, I believe, a five-year deal now at Wichita State to take over. And uh, you know, I think that we can get into – just there's a lot of conversation that can surround it. I I'm, I'm thrilled about it. Uh, I, I like the timing of it. I wish it was sooner. I wish it had been earlier in the season. Um, but I like the fact that it's happening before tournament play kicks off and Weston, I'll start with you, your thoughts on, uh, Darren Boatwright naming Isaac Brown, the new head coach at Wichita state. Yeah. I don't think the timing before the, the tournament really doesn't make much 
too much of a difference to me, but I'll tell you before signing day is what is I think of utmost importance. You know, I, I think there's two different paths to this conversation that make me really love, love the hire. And, and not that that's a surprise to anyone as all three of us, like you mentioned, were, you know, advocating for it last week, but there's two separate paths. One, our listeners have heard me harp on the continuity of the head coach. I think that is so important for programs. And I, and I know he's only been here one year. I mean, you know, a year as the interim and, and this will be his really first year as a head coach. Um, but, you know, was on the staff before keeping the guys that are in the program now within the program for the next couple of years, especially with the success they're starting to have with some of these younger players is going to be so important and it helps with recruiting and obviously getting talented players in is how you win basketball games. But then on the other side, the reason that I, I think I'm maybe the most excited for Isaac Brown is you saw when the announcement was made, the absolute, you know, outpour of support appreciation, excitement from former players uh, for this signing. And I think that says so much. I mean, you hear all the time he he's talked about as a player's coach. And again, now tying back into the recruiting because you have to have great basketball players to win games. Players want to play for players, coaches, right? But you can't just be a player's coach. You have to have the X's and O's to combine with bringing in those players. We've seen plenty of, of guys in the past that have been just, you know, uh, in the media and it just been, everybody's been all about the, Oh, this guy's a player's coach, blah, blah, blah. But okay. That's only part of it. You got to still have the X's and O's. You still got to coach those kids up to win basketball games. He's put that all together now, right? Like everybody already knew he was this player's coach. Everybody spoke all these past players, current players spoke so highly of him. Well, now he's shown the success. So he's saying, look, not only do guys love playing for me, but I'm also showing you I can get the most out of them. And that's what he did this year, especially in a year when when they weren't picked to do much. There was so much um, uh, you know, scrutiny about going into this season. There was so much really just turmoil. Yeah, turmoil. Uh, that you, I was looking for some word. I don't know. That works. That works. Works for me, Blake. Chaos. Uh, turmoil. So much that they needed to overcome to get, really get to the point where they are now. He led them through that. He showed that from a strategy standpoint, he can he can coach them up to win basketball games. And guys love playing for him. What more could you possibly want for your basketball program than exactly all three of those things? I I, I think it's an absolute home run for the Shockers. I think they're going to be settling in with IB for for a long time. He's fourteen and four in the American this year. They're in first place. If you don't get him, if, if you didn't hire him, my question would be why? Why don't you want him? I don't, I don't get yeah. it. He's a player's coach. Nobody has a bad thing to say about him. And the Shockers are playing very well. And I and I hate the notion, you know, there are all these guys. Look up north to Kansas and Bill Self. And people talk about how important, you know, n- n- detractors will bring out the whole Adidas thing and say, oh, Curtis Towns and all these other assistant coaches, oh, they're all dirty. But, you know, discounting that part of it, how many times has it been talked about how big of a deal – some of the assistant coaches are at Kansas in terms of recruiting, how big sure. Danny Manning was in terms of recruiting to Kansas. But at Wichita State, oh, it's all Greg Marshall, you know, Kyle Linstead. And, you know, unless you're Chris Jans or, God, the, the I'm blanking on the head coach's name at Wake Forest, but it, unless Steve you're Forbes. Steve, Steve Forbes. Forbes. 
God, minus two points for Blake for not remembering that. <laughs> Terrible job by me. If you're not Chris Pants or Steve Port, that is. That's a, that's awful. That's not accurate. You're not supposed to use that horn unless I'm right. <laughs> but if you're unless you're Steve Forbes or Chris Jans, then oh, you, you know those are the guys that brought in players. But everybody else, oh, it's Greg Marshall, Isaac Brown, uh, you know, Kenny Recruit. Come on, you can't have it both ways. So he was here for great shocker teams. This has still been. I know that they've been. They've come back down to earth from you know being up there at the moon the last few years under Greg Marshall. But this is still the golden era, the golden age of Wichita State basketball without equal, not even close. And the other thing too. And I know that you didn't mean it this way. We're in this PC world. I think he's actually the first black coach at any Division I basketball program in Kansas, KU Kansas State included. Um, but I would have been just as in his corner if he was Asian or Mexican sure. or white or purple and from Pluto. I, I don't I don't care. I, I think saying that, and I'm not, and like I said, I'm not accusing you of saying this at all. But I think when people say that, oh, you know, thank goodness they hired a black coach, that takes away from his hard work that he's put in for himself. He get he got sure. this job because he was qualified. He got this job because we believe on this show that he is the best qualified person to lead Wichita State. And he's earned it. He's earned the right to have this job. It doesn't matter what the color of his skin is. I believe that Isaac Brown is going to succeed. And you know what? We may be totally wrong. He may be out of here in two or three years. I don't know. I'm not betting against Isaac Brown. I think he's going to be here for 20 years. I think he's going to keep Wichita State relevant. I think they're going to get back to the heights of where they were. Are they ever going to be a team that's going to win you know, 30 games a year for six years in a row? Probably not. That's going to be a lot harder to do in the American Athletic Conference. Do I think they're going to be a team that should count on being in the NCAA tournament about 19 years out of every 20? Yeah, I do. I think they're going to be a team that's going to be in the top three of the AAC every year. Yeah, I do. I think they're going to win a lot of American Conference tournaments, regular season championships. They're going to be making Sweet 16s, and I think that they're going to be con- they're going to be years when Wichita State's going to have a hot run in March. They're going to make another Final Four, and you once you're in the Final Four, who knows what happens? So I'm not predicting anything crazy. I'm not going to come on this show and say, well, Isaac Brown's obviously going to win a national championship at Wichita State. But I do think that he is, if you're looking for a national championship at Wichita State, my question is, if you're not going to get, you know, one of, if you can't hire one of the blue blood coaches, John Calipari, or, uh, man, minus four points for me, head coach of Villanova, terrible job. Jay Wright. Jay Wright. What am I doing? That's horrible. God. Bless this, pick me off the show and throw me in the Arkansas <laughs> River. Jay Wright, if you can't get Jay Wright or John Calipari or Bill Self to come, for me, I like Isaac Brown. I like Isaac Brown. I hope he's at Wichita for a long time. I think he's the best man for the job, period. And if you don't like it, my question is, what have you been watching for the last five years and why don't you like Isaac Brown? That's a you problem, not an Isaac Brown problem. You know, I've actually talked to a handful of, of Shocker fans that I know that uh, I don't want to say they weren't thrilled about the hire, but I think that some of them were maybe questioning it a little bit and looking for, well, they, they were looking for a nationwide coaching search at the end of the season. They were looking for 
potential big names to come in and interview with Wichita State and be courted to come to Wichita and coach the Shockers. And, and you know, I, and they've even said, uh, the ones I've talked to said, you know, I, we, we anticipated Isaac Brown would be in the mix along with, X, Y, and Z that we also thought would maybe be interested. And ultimately, if IB got the job, then, hey, he beat out these other you know candidates in a nationwide search. And my response to that is, again, kind of like what you just said, Blake, what have you been watching all season? Like <laughs> the, 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 he is, he's proven himself to be fully at, at worst adequate of leading this team and at best far beyond adequate. I mean, just absolutely capable of they leading this team. Seventh. They were right. picked seventh. If they win right. on Saturday, they win the league. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what more What more can you want, you know, from your head coach, especially when yes. you, see the cir- you see the circumstances that he inherited and the mess that he inherited when he came in? Let's not forget the number of players, guys. We're not just talking about Greg Marshall leaving the program. Let's not forget the number of players that left the program that were in the transfer portal. The couple of players that were in the portal and decided to stay at Wichita State because Isaac Brown was retained as interim coach at that time. You know, he he ultimately, and I don't think people have given Isaac Brown and his staff enough credit for not only getting the Shockers to a position to where they could potentially win the conference, but in my mind, Isaac Brown saved Shocker basketball this year. With all of the, the, the mass exodus of players that were leaving, there was nobody better to right the ship with the kind of demeanor, the kind of personality, the kind of coach that Isaac Brown is. That's my favorite part about him. When you, when you look at who Greg Marshall was, great coach, great coach, but huge personality. And then you see Isaac Brown and how understated he is and how calm and collected he is and just lets his work do the talking. The players resonate. It resonates with them. They embrace that. They love that about him. And I I don't think it is overblowing it one bit to say that in that in my mind, Isaac Brown saved Shocker basketball, at least for this year. Will he be able to continue on this success long-term? I hope so. I think one of the, the common things I've heard is, um, you know, we don't really know if he can bring in the big recruits or not. Well, I mean, he was on Greg Marshall's staff for a number of years and played a huge role in recruiting these guys to come to Wichita. So why don't we, why don't we just sit back and see what he can do? Uh, I think Shocker fans, I think Shocker Nation, ultimately are going to uh they're, they're gonna they're gonna love Isaac Brown they already do but they're gonna continue to love Isaac Brown into the future I think he's gonna be able to bring a lot of success to the shocker program as far as bracketology is concerned guys uh looking at and I know again there are a ton of people that do bracketology out there the first one I always go to is Joe Lenardi just because he's been doing it forever but as of right now he has Wichita State again as the automatic qualifier as a 12 seed right now, of course, things will, will obviously change, but right now he's got the shockers facing off against the Oklahoma Sooners who are a five seed right now. I don't care if, you know, Wichita state could be a 12 seed. I don't care who the five seed is. That is a scary matchup for anybody. And that's going to be, 
that's going to be a pretty sexy upset pick, I think, <laughs> nationally as people fill out their brackets. If Wichita State ends up as a 12 seed and they're the league champions and they have to face it uh, up against the five seed, I would not want to be that five seed. If I was the coach of that five seed, I would be pretty irritated that I've got to face Wichita State in the first round. Uh, kind of Blake, I guess, talk a little bit about what your thoughts are, where you see Wichita State in the bracket right now. I know the Shocker fans are probably not going to want me to bring this name up. Uh, Jerry Palm, because he's uh, been accused of maybe some Wichita State haterade in the past, actually likes the Shockers a little bit more than Joe Lenardi does. He's got the Shockers as a 10 seed right now. Now, this was before today's game. Now, obviously, I don't really feel like a, you know, a win against the Green Wave or a win against the South Florida Bulls is really going to move the needle this year. Um, so I don't think that Wichita State right now, they're net 67. They're not going to move up in the net rankings, but – from everything that I've read, pretty there are there's a lot of consensus that a loss either today, or I guess it would be yesterday, as they're list, you guys are listening to the podcast or watching it out there, or on Saturday against South Florida in the finale of the regular season, that that loss could almost, if not entirely, undo the benefit of beating Houston earlier in the year, especially this game on Saturday, mainly because it's at home. And a home loss to what would they be? I think they're a quad. I think it would be a quad four team since it's a home game. That would be really, really bad. Really bad because Wichita State this year, you know, because of the issues that Weston's talked about in many of the previous episodes, they don't have the type of non conference resume that maybe they would have otherwise had. And they certainly didn't help themselves by losing to Missouri or losing to Oklahoma State. Those would have been two really big wins. Not saying those losses cripple Wichita State. But the majority of their wins have been beating up on quad three and quad four schools. So you don't want to change that. So for me, I think from everything that I'm reading, if you win on Saturday, you're the American Athletic Conference regular season champion. I think you're in even if you have a disaster at the AAC tournament, lose first round. I think that you're still in. If you win Saturday and win in the first round or in your – I don't know if the AAC – are they taking 10 this year? I don't know if it's 10 or 8 or what their format is. There's some schools and tournaments that are changing. MIAA changed their format this year for the the MIAA tournament. But if you're in that quarterfinal game, even if you lose that game, I still think they're in. But if you win that game and you win Saturday for the regular season championship, for me, it's a stone-cold lock at that point. They will be in, even if they don't even make the AAC championship. You know, I, I completely agree with that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of piggyback off of a little bit what Tommy was saying too, because I don't I don't have much to add. I mean, I, I really think that's where they're at. I think if they beat USF, they're in. I mean, that's it's just that simple. Um, but Tommy, you you had kind of said something. You, you mentioned that you know Wichita State as a 12 seed, 10 seed, whatever, probably ends up being maybe a kind of a sexy you know upset pick for everybody in, in you know the March Madness brackets and this and that. And I think that kind of goes to show that name recognition that Wichita State has. And I want to point that out because when you were talking about Isaac Brown, you know, saving the ship, I don't think folks realize how quickly things can go south at a program that isn't a blue blood, essentially. Um, and heck, we've even seen, you know, it's a down years from the blue bloods, but I mean, it's just different there. But how quickly that, you know, you have a, a and I'm going to use the word scandal because, I mean, that's, I guess, what it is, right, with Greg Marshall, followed by if they would have had a stinker of a year, you know, one 
nine games, 10 games, whatever, and just been kind of forgotten, it becomes pretty quick for folks to go, oh man, remember when Wichita State used to be good? Then, you know, that kind of stigma quickly, I think, goes over to recruits and it makes it that much tougher for whoever the coach is, whether it would have been IB or anyone else to recruit players. But the fact that he came in and saved the season, essentially, I think continues to build off that that great basketball program recognition reputation that they have. And and like you said, now circling back to where they end up in the tournament, I think you're right. I think they're going to be kind of a sexy underdog pick. I mean, it always ends up with matchups and this and that and, you know, whatnot, but I think there'll be a lot of people that go, Ooh, I love that. You know, everybody wants to try to pick the, the 12, five or the 11, six. And if Wichita state ends up on that line, that's, you know, going to be the, Oh, I have to have at least one 12 upset or one 11 upset in your, in your bracket. And I think Wichita state will definitely be a popular. So I'm excited to see how it shakes out. Um, I, you know, for what it's worth, I, I think they beat USF. And I think they make a good run in the AAC. I mean, I certainly, you know, if you, if someone was willing to put some little money on it, I, I would certainly feel comfortable betting on them to win the whole thing. But nonetheless, I'd feel comfortable saying they uh, they win. They're just playing. Well, God, they're so that. they're playing such good basketball right now, and that's the game. I mean, that's March Madness. That's college basketball. It's getting hot at the right time. And boy, Wichita State's playing some good basketball right now. What's the Western well, money line on that game? <laughs> that's a, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, you'd have to, have to look into that. You know, right. But uh, I think that they're, uh, I wonder what the odds are on them winning the AAC. Maybe like I, if I was to guess five to one. Yeah. Houston would probably be probably. your favorite. They'd probably be Houston well, probably at three to two. Yeah, yeah. Two to one, three to two, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would think. Hey, if you give so me I'm, good enough, if you give me good enough odds, I might, uh, I might take you up on, I might take you up on like <laughs> state action. Yeah, yeah. I might. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, fun side note, I don't know, you guys probably don't pay attention as much as I do for boring reasons, but uh, the there has been a couple of sports betting bills produced in the the, the house in Kansas. So Good. we are not too yeah, we are not too far from that being legalized and ready to go. It's just a matter of, you know, the minor details of who gets to do it, who's allowed to make money off of it, how much are they allowed to make. But it, it's gonna happen sooner rather than later. I would predict by football season. Uh, we'll all be able to just hop on our uh, what a favorite sports book app and, and put a little money on the on the well, I guess football season, but you know the shocks come next year. The, yeah. They're always well, talking at the state level about how they need more money. Like, hello, sports gambling? Are you kidding me? Do you see yeah. around in the other states the money that's generated? Also, if I can get on a small tangent that'll take less than fifteen seconds, poker room, <laughs> get a life, okay. You want more money at the state? We're always out of money. How about poker rooms? You see what's going on in Texas? They got poker rooms down there. They're bringing in money for the state, all right? Get off your ass and get it done, state. God, oh, gambling's too... Get out of here. You have a million... Okay, we're over 15 seconds now. You have a million-dollar casino down in Mulvane, but we can't have poker rooms in Wichita or Topeka. Get out. Come on. so stupid. Blake's... Blake suggesting that he had a 15 minute hot take might be the hottest take of all hot takes we've ever had on this show. 15 second, not minute. (laughs) Well, another, I appreciate the rant, uh, but I will say that another team that is getting hot at the right time, just in time for March, the university of Kansas Jayhawks. And we're going to talk all about what's been going on the last week or so with KU in just a moment. But fellas, I do have some breaking news 
regarding the University of Kansas. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Sunrise Christian Academy Jr. and five-star class of 2022 guard Grady Dick has announced he will attend the University of Kansas. Uh, He he is averaging 9.3 points, 3.8 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and 1.4 steals on the Sunrise Christian squad. He was offered by just about everybody on the planet. He chose KU over Alabama, Baylor, Florida, Illinois, Oklahoma State, Purdue, and Texas Tech. So he made that announcement on Tuesday evening. So once again, five-star Sunrise Christian Academy guard Grady Dick, who is from Wichita, commits to the University of Kansas. So that news just broke just a little while ago. And so uh, I guess, uh, Weston, I'll start with you. Just initial thoughts on Grady Dick coming to Kansas. Man, that kid's an absolute baller. And always always great to keep the local talent, right? I mean, you just hate to see, you know, guys, whether it's Wichita or the Kansas City area, going to other schools um, and then kind of being, you know, a standout. And you think, oh, man, we missed on that one. Glad to have the Wichita kid playing for Kansas next year. And I think it speaks hopefully volumes too about, you know, maybe the comfort level of, of recruits with, you know, Kansas and the overarching uh, allegations. And matter of fact, when you said breaking news, I was very worried that that's <laughs> what you're about to give us. Uh, so glad to hear that it is in the complete opposite direction that, I mean, this kid is a big time recruit. He, he can score really in, in pretty much any way you want it. And, and I think that's going to be, I mean, he's going to be a building block uh, for the future of the Kansas Jayhawks. Blake, any additional thoughts on Grady Dick coming to Kansas? You guys all, I mean, I'm surprised you even asked. You already know what I'm going to say. Doesn't matter. <laughs> to signing, wow. doesn't matter. Of course, I love Blake. Uh, no, not a hot take. Sorry. Uh, I, of course, I love that Wichita kids want to go play for KU. Of course, I love that, you know, KU gets good recruits. It's better to have a good recruiting class than a small recruiting class. But until he's actually out there on October, whatever, when the season starts, in a Kansas uniform, and I actually get to see him play in Allen Fieldhouse, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We don't know Blake, if he's Blake wouldn't Blake wouldn't care if our if the the 2021 recruiting class was consisted of you, me, and him for Kansas. He'd be like, "Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't we'll matter. see what they. You, it depends when they get to the court." If Kevin Garnett <laughs> showed up to play for KU next year, I would say the same thing. I'm not, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go crazy when you guys talk about football recruiting and then be a hypocrite and say, "Oh, well, basketball. Oh, how awesome is that?" No, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, obviously, better players you get better you're going to be, but until you're out there on the floor, we've had a, a number of really good recruits in the Bill Self era that have not panned out, and a lot of guys that we didn't think were going to be big deals that turned out to be players of the year. So until they're out there in the uniform, yeah, that, that's fine. Wake me up in October, and I'm, I'm happy to watch Grady Dick play in a Kansas uniform. Well, I'll tell you why it does matter. It matters because – Had he not gone to Kansas, he could have very well gone to Baylor or Texas Tech or Oklahoma State. So it matters there. And you won't be able to watch him in October. It'll be October of 2022 when you'll be able to watch him because he's only a junior right now. Um, But he is considered to be one of the more versatile players in the 2022 class, ranked number 21 overall by ESPN. Uh, He's close friends with Christian Brown, who helped recruit him to Kansas. And then, of course, one of his teammates at Sunrise, Zach Clements, is a four-star forward 
in the 2021 class, and he signed with the Jayhawks last November. So Clements and Dick will eventually play together once Dick graduates from Sunrise Christian. It's, you know, again, homegrown talent. I know that sometimes, like you said, Blake, it doesn't pan out. Uh, that you know, there are guys like Connor Frankamp that it's homegrown talent. It doesn't pan out. But then there are also guys like Perry Ellis who are homegrown talent, sure. and it does pan out. And so at the end you of the day, yeah, it. it's it out pretty well so far. That's very true. So at the end of the day, it's 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 good to be excited about it. In my opinion, that you can choose not to be, but I I will be excited. I, about I'm, it. I'm not telling you game. you're wrong to be excited. I'm just saying it's you know I want to see him play. You know, I like to throw out often. I'm usually throwing out random Royals players names, but uh, here's a random name of a, of a big time recruit for Kansas that then didn't come. And I don't know why it has always stuck with me that he didn't go to Kansas and it peeved me. He went straight to the NBA. Do you guys remember Deshaun, Deshaun Stevenson? Stevenson absolutely. Had to Kansas. He was in like the high school dunk contest. I was so excited for Deshaun Stevenson. And then he just and goes to the NBA and, and I just for whatever reason didn't have like always a that, career in the NBA either no uh-uh. but I always kind of thought of him as like oh he's kind of a Kansas guy so <laughs> I don't know but that's that's a fun random Deshaun Stevenson I don't know if many people remember that name but uh, well there's the, uh, the other fact. There you go. The other big news with the Kansas Jayhawks obviously has to do with their game on Saturday night against, at the time, the number two ranked Baylor Bears Uh, inside Allen Fieldhouse. It was senior night for the Jayhawks and KU basically shut Baylor down. Final score 71 to 58 in that game. It was a defensive masterclass. This Baylor team averages I think over 80 points a game I think they had been over the course of the season and they were held to 58 points against the Jayhawks offensively David McCormick 20 points for him Blake I know you're chomping at the bit to talk about David McCormick but uh, we'll get to him in just a second Marcus Garrett added 14 points uh, and seven rebounds Christian Brown had 11 points and nine rebounds one rebound short of a double double for the Jayhawks my first question before Blake we get into David McCormick (laughs) I'm going to ask Weston this question Uh, you know Weston it seems like the narrative following this game was that yeah the Jayhawks got the win but all the national pundits said this is not the Baylor team that we're used to seeing because of the COVID pause and almost kind of delegitimizing the victory a little bit, at least in my mind from the Jayhawks. Where do you stand on that narrative? Is that fair to say that that's not the same Baylor team that we've seen or even the same Baylor team that on Tuesday afternoon defeated West Virginia on the road in overtime? Or was that just an elite performance by the Jayhawks? Look, I, the the whole COVID pause thing. I'm not buying that for a second. These are these are twenty, you know, eighteen to twenty two year old men that you're telling me they can't get up for a game against Kansas on Saturday night on ESPN. I don't care who's in there, how many days they took off. You don't think that they're all, you know, still getting their shots up in their at the at the gym. I'm not buying that for a second. But I will say. A big part of this win absolutely was the, the the lack of performance by Jared Butler from Baylor. He killed Kansas in that first performance. And, um, you know, so let's see. He only played 29 minutes because he, he was a little bit in foul trouble. But he was two for nine from the field, one for seven from the three-point line, scored five points in the game. And I think – and it's a combination of things, right? So this is where I say, look – he obviously had a bad night and got into foul trouble. But again, Marcus Garrett shut Jared Butler down, and that makes a difference. And I, if you remember back to the first game, I had the conversation about, look, 
if Marcus Garrett can't shut down that other team's first you know best player he needs to not be as playing as many minutes in those type of games because he doesn't provide much offensively he brought it he absolutely was as elite as it gets when it when it comes to, to playing defense against Baylor I mean it was just an all-around great performance uh you know by him so I, I do think that I don't buy the COVID pause having any effect on this at all, but I think Jared Butler having an off night combined with Marcus Garrett forcing him to have, uh, you know, a bad night or even worse night, um, absolutely kind of just wrecked Baylor. I don't know how many, and obviously I've not watched enough Baylor basketball to be able to tell you, but I'm, I'm curious how many games where they've been forced to find other players other than Jared Butler to score points. And not to say that they don't, they're, they're a great basketball team. I know, you know, uh, Teague Mitchell, you know, uh, that the big thick guy, vital or uh, Vital. Yeah, I don't know. Mike I, vital. I don't know which yeah. one. Yeah. God, he, he's a big old boy. Um, They've got plenty of uh, plenty of talented uh, guys there, right? But I don't know if they've had to win many games in which Butler didn't provide a significant portion of of the offense. So I, I think hats off to, to Kansas in that in that sense. And um, you know, I, I will I will go ahead and I guess let Blake talk a little bit about the offense because I have a feeling he has some points he'd like to make about the offense so i just wanted to go ahead and start with the defense. oh and i i do but i'm gonna no i, I will stay on topic i'm i am a professional <laughs> and i can stay on topic and tommy if you look if you watch the game and you look at the stats there are reasons that you could say that this first of all weston you're insane if you don't think that the coronavirus thing has something to do with baylor that's that's insane no, don't buy it. this this is this is what i know from talking to the newman coaches who had coronavirus uh, quarantines before the season. The men's team had two. And R.J. Allen told me, he's like, we had David Javorski, who was the best three-point shooter for the Jets last year. He was shooting 44% from the three last year. He was playing lights out, lights out, when they hit their first quarantine. He said he came back, and then they had another quarantine. They were back for about a week, and then they went on quarantine again for two more weeks before the season. And he said he didn't really feel like he had gotten back to where he was playing there in, I think it was mid-October. He didn't get back to that level until the last couple of weeks of the season where you could see it for a game or two. You could see it for stretches. I think that it's real. Darren Spence talked to me about it as well on the women's side, about how this year not getting that early development time set the team back the entire season. And he feels like it was a much bigger deal after thinking back on the year than maybe he initially thought. So I absolutely believe that it is real. And, you know, that's not necessarily my eyes telling me that, but that's what coaches are telling me. Coaches are telling me that it does make a big deal. If you want to look at this game in particular, Tommy, you look at the fact that Baylor had 17 more field goals attempted than Kansas did. The better the better team you are, the more field goals you are attempting. The Baylor Bears in the turnover ratio, they were plus 11 in the turnover ratio. Now, Baylor got their clock absolutely cleaned polished. We put a new coat of paint on it. They were crushed on the glass. KU out-rebounded them by 20. Only one on the offensive glass. The rebounding for KU was dramatic in the difference that it made in the game. 
Baylor shot just six of 26 from the three-point line. KU only shot three of 16 from the three-point line. So to me, I think that it's fair to maybe temper how you feel about this game and say, you know, Baylor does have some rust. I think it does. Absolutely. You don't play for three weeks. I think your timing goes off. I think that the feel that you have for plays and your in-game decision-making, we always talk about when players come back after an injury, getting back up to game speed. Well, multiply that times 10 players in your rotation that all have to get back up to game speed after not playing for three weeks. I don't think that there's anything that you can do in your dorm room or you know, shooting on the playground by yourself that can simulate that getting into the practice court and playing in games. So I buy it. That doesn't mean I feel any less about the KU win. I think on Twitter I said that it was a staggeringly good win for Kansas. And I think that the KU defense absolutely presented Baylor with a lot of problems, certainly more than they did when they played the game down at Waco, and certainly more than Kansas did in the first half of the year when KU's defense just frankly was pretty average at best. So I give KU credit, but I definitely think the layoff had a chain changed Baylor's composition in a dynamic and very important way. And I think that as Baylor starts to get back up to steam, maybe we will see them again in the Big 12 tournament, and that might be a better barometer of where these two teams are. Here's where I stand, though, on it, and and th- and I'm not going to weigh in on the, the COVID-19 pause because I don't know enough about that to know how or if it affects a team and the inner workings of a program, uh, but what I will say is that I would have – bought the narrative that this was not the same Baylor team before or after the pause as it was before the pause when they were dominating teams left and right. If not only had they lost against Kansas, but if they had laid an egg against West Virginia as well on Tuesday, they didn't do that. And now I know they let West Virginia back in the game in the second half, but the first half they were dominant. They looked like Baylor from the beginning of the season, they were Jared Butler played great. This was on the road in Morgantown and they played fantastic. They were gritty. They pulled out a win uh, in overtime. Baylor clinched their first big 12 championship, their first conference championship since 1950 in 70 years, they clinched their conference championship. They, they plain and simple laid an egg against Kansas. And I am giving the credit to Kansas for that. The Jayhawks shut Baylor down. It would be different in my mind if they had not played well against Kansas and then not played well against West Virginia. And then we can look at a trend going on as how Baylor is performing after their COVID pause. I just don't see that. I don't buy that narrative. I don't, again, I'm not going to weigh into the COVID protocols, but bottom line is that I just feel like the Jayhawks were the better team. Maybe there was some rust there for Baylor, but Kansas was the better team on Saturday night for sure. Just plain and simple in my mind. Oh, I, yeah. And I would never disagree with that. KU played better. They deserve to win the game. I, I just feel like from from talking from the talking to the Newman coaches, I, I feel like the the layoff is a bigger deal than maybe you guys think it is. That that's all I'm saying. Well, I would never take away but, from what Kansas did. They were great. Look, in, in no disrespect to, to Newman by any means, but Newman is not Baylor. They do not have the facilities, the the money, the coaching staff to 
weathered something like that and make it as close to normal as possible as Baylor athletics does. You don't think that those, I mean, you know, you said go out and getting shots on the playground. I'm sure that the opportunities, the places, the facilities for those guys to still go and shoot and stay isolated or six feet apart or whatever those protocols are, are going to be much different than what Newman can provide. Um, but with that being said, you know, I, I, I think, I guess you, you both do make a good point and, you know, I, we don't know you know, what they were doing or what they felt like they could do or what players actually felt, you know, maybe sick even, you know, I mean that we don't know those kind of things. So I I can concede on that point. Well, you know, the Jayhawks after that win against Baylor moved to number 13 in the country. Uh, Baylor dropped down to number three. The Jayhawks did add an additional game on their schedule for Thursday night. So you'll be listening to this podcast, I'm assuming, more than likely on Thursday. So uh, later on today, uh, the Jayhawks will be playing UTEP uh, as they come in to Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, the UTEP Miners, that game will be on ESPN+. Plus. As far as bracketology is concerned for the Jayhawks, Joe Lenardi uh, has Kansas squarely on the three line right now after their upset at home against Baylor over the weekend. And, you know, Blake, I'll start with you on this because uh, it wasn't that long ago that, in fact, it might have even been a week ago on the program uh, or even a couple weeks ago that we were talking about the real possibility that Kansas could be a five seed, maybe even a six seed uh, if things really went south for them late in the season and in the big 12 tournament. And now it looks like Kansas is pretty much a solid three, unless something crazy happens. Um, I know that you're going to point fingers at me by being uh, I maybe a chicken little when it comes to the Kansas program. <laughs> I'll let you Say what you need to say to me in your own words. You know, I I mean, I just, I said at that time, just relax. It's going to be fine. There, there were, you know, KU, if they, KU was in control of its own destiny, it still is. And it doesn't matter. You know, people always say, oh, you know, gosh, we got to get the number one to say, you've got to get a number two seed. How many times has KU won the national championship as a number one seed? Exactly once, as far as I know. Did they see the tournament back in 1952? Probably, but I don't remember. Because they certainly didn't win as the number one seed in 1988. And there have been a lot of Roy Williams teams that had the one and the two seed. And guess what? They didn't win. So, it, it you know, the seeding, it doesn't really matter. What matters the most, the most important, critical thing, is that you are playing well in March. That's what's the most important. So, you know, this this idea that oh gosh we you know a five or six seed can't win it heck a couple of years ago I think it was Kentucky and UConn there was like the eight and nine seed playing for the national championship so you know whoever is playing the best at the end is going to get there and with KU right now playing the way that they are much better defensively David McCormick dominating on the inside Jalen Wilson is a rebounding machine right now. Christian Brown, I have to say, I thought that he was just some scrawny guy. I can't believe how good of a rebounder Christian Brown is. I am astonished every time I watch them play about how many rebounds Christian Brown gets because he looks like he weighs about 105 pounds out there. But he is going in, getting rebounds, hitting big shots. You know, I like where KU is right now, Weston. I like it a lot. Yeah. uh, The only thing I'll add about as far as seating is concerned, I think this year, 
just hopefully not being the two two or three seed in Gonzaga's bracket. Not that Kansas can't beat Gonzaga, but I think Gonzaga right now is clearly the number one, right? I mean, I think it's by far and away have separated themselves. Now, it kind of for a while, the talk was Gonzaga and Baylor and then everybody else. At this point, I do think it's kind of Gonzaga is alone in tier one. And then I do think probably Illinois, Michigan and, and Baylor are, have kind of established themselves in that tier two. A couple other teams maybe in that conversation. Um, but that, you know, they obviously, as, as Kansas just showed, you know, they went out and put it on to Baylor, Illinois and Michigan both have some, just some weird losses in with some really great wins. Um, so I do think, you know, not being in Gonzaga's bracket would be the most beneficial to Kansas. Um, and really to anybody, right. That, to, that it's about matchups too, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's absolutely right. And, and so, you know, that just, those are the kind of things you're going to look at and see, you know, whether it's. You know, if you're a two seed and you get a, a 15, well, you know, we've we've seen that that, that, that can happen. So it is you're, – you're right. It's matchups. It's hot. And, and Kansas is. They're playing really good basketball right now at the right time, like Wichita State. Um, and in part, that is, you know, in thanks to David McCormick figuring out his game. I wanted to beat Blake to the punch. We, we had to talk some David McCormick, right? And he has figured it out. And it's so – it is how this team goes when he figures it out, right? Efficient, efficient, efficient. He has figured it out. He played 25 minutes in the game. I think that's perfect. Maybe even a little bit more than that. He played the right amount of minutes. He was all of it – you know, he was taking efficient shots. You can shoot the ball 10 times. 12 times if you're going to shoot 80% from the field played, you know, played some great defense. Um, the efficiency is what I love to see. And he's starting. I, we've kind of talked about it, um, but I do think the moment has, I mean, I'd say we're fully there where David McCormick has figured out he needs to play like David McCormick and not Yudoki Azabuki, not like Mitch Lightfoot, not like Diedrich Lawson. He's playing like, like, David McCormick and I think that's what's clicked for him and I think the offense as well because I think this is the next component to this is starting to understand when the right time is to feed him the ball I think that aspect of it is clicking too they're not just forcing it into McCormick just for the sake of forcing it in they're throwing it into him when he's got one guy on his back when he's got one guy on his back it's great you know they don't have when they have help side coming over, he's learning to throw out. It's all clicking for him. And, and as we've talked before, that's just really releasing the rest of the offense as a whole. It, when he plays well and plays efficiently, it makes everybody else's job so much easier. So hats off. I'm so glad that I have been wrong about David McCormick in, in his performance. And, and it's not that, and it's not even that, I thought he was bad, and I think Tommy, this is maybe what Blake missed about our argument: is we're not saying he was bad or that he that he shouldn't be, you know, on the floor. Well, and I think at times actually I did say that. I think, well, he, I think actually said, he did say that. Yeah, but we've always said like it's not it's not just because he's missing shots; it's because he's not efficiently, you know, producing the basketball. You know that that's really the the whole. Thing crux of this argument is when you're going to shoot a two-pointer because that's all he shoots you got to be efficient with it for the basketball team as a whole to be effective and he started to really figure that out look i uh i'm a big enough man and i'm 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 mature enough uh in my life to admit when i am wrong about something um this is not one of those times but i'm just saying that i'm (laughs) okay (laughs) 
old big enough man. Eagerly awaiting when that day arrives. <laughs> sure, uh, you might be waiting a long time. No, in all seriousness, uh, I, you know, I, I said it on Twitter. It, it was great to see David McCormick his game start to come around. Let's not. Let's not try to ignore the fact or brush over the fact that early in the season, David McCormick was awful. He was so terrible. He was so bad in the early part of the season. He has started to grow into his role. He has started to perform uh, at a higher clip. He started to put the results out. I feel like he's starting to understand a little bit more about how to use his body offensively to you know, make it work for him. And he's been incredibly effective, especially in Big 12 play uh, and especially in that game against Baylor. The one area that I was wrong about that I can admit is that, look, I had I had Kansas pretty much dead and buried, right? As recently as a a few weeks ago, I was pretty much resigned to the fact that the Jayhawks were going to have their worst overall record since the 1988-1989 Roy Williams Jayhawks when they were ineligible for the NCAA tournament and they finished with a record of 19 and 12. I was pretty much committed to the fact that, you know, more than likely the Jayhawks were not going to win 20 games in the season. And if they did, they might just get to 20 and they might have more than 12 losses. I mean, I was pretty much resigned to that fact. But Bill Self, Hall of Fame coach Bill Self, pulled in old school 1990s Undertaker, you know, WWF, <laughs> you that's know, raised from the dead right, sit yeah. up. It's the uh, that's what yeah. he, that's what he pulled with this program over the last couple of weeks. And I think it's just, you know, it's a reminder to me that uh, far be it for me to question Bill Self. Far be it, you know, for me to question a guy that has won so much and that is a national championship winning coach and that can take a, a group of guys that just at times have seemed lost on the court. They have seemed ineffective on the court. They've seemed a lot of different things on the court and to get them to gel when it matters most in late February and into March to not only knock off Baylor, but to crawl back into a three seat potentially in the NCAA tournament to be in second place right now in the big 12 with, you know, just a couple of games to go for some of these other teams. Uh, Hats off to Bill Self, hats off to the Jayhawks and hats off to David McCormick for making it all possible. You know, I, I I don't know how many ways that I could that I look at this and I diagnose the stats. I've watched David McCormick play, and even on even on Saturday, there's somebody tweeting at me about how oh well, most basketball people would say that that was a bad shot, even though it went in. Talking about how David McCormick is is not efficient. Let me let me read you some stats here real quick. The top five players. On KU's roster, you know who has the best number of points per minute? That'd be David McCormick at 0.58 points per minute. Wilson is second at 0.37. Ochai Abaji. When you shoot the most, of course, I'd hope that you would have the most points per minute. Uh, Points. Okay. You want to go points per shot? I'm glad you asked. Points per (laughs) shot. 
Okay. Best on KU, 1.3 points per shot. David McCormick, thank you very okay. much. The best of all time in the NBA is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he shot less than 1.05 points per oh, shot, which, by on. the way, is incredible. So, obviously, the defense in college is not as good as the NBA. But I, I don't understand where the, the this whole idea that David McCormick is not efficient I don't understand where this narrative came from. He's first in the Big 12 in field goal percentage, eighth in field goals attempted, but he's first in field goals made in the Big 12. He's 165th in the country in field goals attempted, but 75th in field goals made. I, you you look – I got another sticky note here. You look back at the previous seasons in the Big 12. Last season, there was one player, one, in the whole league that shot over 50%. That was Yudoka Azubuki, the only player that shot over 50%, obviously the only player that shot over 65% as well. Only seven players the year before that, 11 the year before that. There are not players shooting over 50%. It doesn't happen. In the whole league this year, there are two players shooting over 50%, two. David McCormick is one of them. So this whole narrative that David McCormick isn't deficient is so unfair, so insane. I, I can't believe it. And the other thing that really bothers me, too, is people will always say in sports, well, what have you done for me lately? What have you done? for? Who cares what you did earlier? So David McCormick lately has been, oh, I don't know, shooting 54% from the field in Big 12 play, averaging 14 points per game in Big 12 play. But people still say, oh, it was so terrible in the beginning. And I guarantee you, if he plays bad against UTEP, and I'm not saying this is going to be Tommy or Weston, somebody will say, oh, gosh, see, look, what have you done for me lately, David McCormick? Oh, you're terrible against UTEP. Like, this this David McCormick hatred is, is borderline in, insanity. And nobody, I don't know where it comes nobody, from. I don't nobody, nobody on this program has David McCormick hatred. Like, nobody does. Like, I feel like you're you channeling shouldn't. this and taking it personally that, like, it's not a hatred <laughs> Like is like are you related to him somehow? Like I, there's do, not. Do we look related? I don't know. I don't I'm just so. I'm just asking. Like maybe by marriage or something. Like there is not David McCormick hatred on this podcast. Literally, my only my only beef, my only complaint. It's not even efficiency. It's just the rate at which the offense runs through David McCormick. And I have felt like at, in the past. Now Baylor was a pleasant surprise for me. I had felt like in the past that there were maybe not better options, but there were some just as good options other than David McCormick, rather than feeding him the ball in the post every single possession, which I felt like that's what the offense was for Kansas, especially in the stretch in January when they weren't playing very well at all. And I just felt like they continually forced the ball to him. It's not a David McCormick hatred. He played incredibly well, not only against Baylor, he's played very well in multiple Big 12 games this season at all. And I really hope that that continues as the, the Big 12 tournament goes into play and the NCAA tournament. At the end of the day, I think I even tweeted this. Kansas is better when David McCormick is playing well. And when David McCormick is not playing well, Kansas is pretty bad. And so they need David McCormick. In my opinion, he's probably their most important player to have a good game because where he goes in my mind, the Jayhawks go. And luckily for the Jayhawks, he's played great, uh, especially against that upset or in that upset against Baylor. 
I hope it continues against UTEP. I hope it continues in the in the tournament. Uh, and then, of course, in the NCAA uh, tournament uh, j- in just a couple of weeks from now. So that's kind of where things stand for Kansas. Of course, like I mentioned, uh, c- kind of seems to be floating in that three seed range right now as far as bracketology is concerned. And that matchup uh, happens inside Allen Fieldhouse on Thursday night against UTEP. Any final thoughts about Kansas? I don't want to cut anybody off. Blake, I don't know if you have more sticky notes that you want to get I mean, to I, or not. I mean, I could probably write some down. We do real research on this show. I think I'm I'm not saying David McCormick is not without reproach. By the way, if you look at his rebounding totals, I think he needs to be a much better rebound. Sure. He had three rebounds sure. against Baylor. He's only averaging, like, how can you be, like, he has to be like 6'10". He looks like he's got about 2% body fat. How are you getting only four rebounds? I, I don't understand. He, he's only averaging four rebounds a game. But in terms of efficiency, like, on every other team that I've ever heard of, fans want their team to throw the ball to the guy who's scoring the most points per minute and making the most points per shot. And one thing I think you have to realize, Tommy, David McCormick is not, you know, you love Yudoka Azubuki. I love Yudoka Azubuki. Everybody loves Yudoka Azubuki. He was a horrendous free throw shooter, terrible free throw shooter, 41%. Here you got David McCormick, shooting 80% from the line. He's a good shooter. You only get those free throws if you throw him the ball. So you have to understand when he if he wasn't a good free throw shooter, we would be having a much different conversation. Points per shot are going to come down, but he makes free throws. So you throw him the ball, he gets to the line, he makes free throws. And that's a big that's a big deal. Yeah, you're not getting 75% from the field like Yudoza, Yukidoka Azubuki, or even Joel Embiid, I think his one year. He shot like 63 or 64%, but he's a much, much better free throw shooter than those guys. So I think you got to run the offense through him. And once again, can I can I just quickly say that Jalen Wilson is a rebounding beast lately. He has 10-plus rebounds in seven of the last eight, all double-doubles, by the way. His 11th time against Baylor, 10-plus rebounds. He's got 10 double-doubles in the season. So Jalen Wilson, I think if it's not David McCormick, and Dave, Jalen Wilson was a guy that you talked about, Tommy, and I agreed he did not have a very good middle of January there. He's playing great sure. right now. Sure. Great right now. Garrett has been playing great defense here these last couple of games. So it's a lot. And I still believe, like Weston has said, there's not one alpha guy on this team. I don't think David McCormick can do it by himself like Frank Mason did, like Paul Pierce maybe did. Pierce had, I mean, there were so many guys on that team that were great. But I don't think that they've got anybody like that on this team, including David McCormick. It's going to have to be a collective effort, much like it was for that last championship team, 2008. Yeah, they had Chalmers and Brandon Rush, but for the most part, it was a it was a conglomeration of really good pieces that came together to make a great run happen. And I think if Key is going to win the title this year, it's going to have to be similar to that. And David McCormick is obviously going to be a piece. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again, just one more time that, you know, I, I think that David McCormick in some cases is a victim of circumstance with who he followed in that position and how, dominant, and how dominant that person was. And then also I think my frustration just goes back to when, 
Kansas was pretty bad in January and their opponents were shooting lights out from beyond the arc. I mean, I don't know what somebody can, I'm sure can look it up what the opponent's three point shooting was in the month of January against KU. It was astronomical. It was well above the average, you know, in college basketball. And so all these teams are, are draining threes left and right. And then Kansas runs down and feeds the ball to David McCormick. And like, you're never going to win if you're trying to battle all these made threes by just feeding it into the post every single time. So I think it's not, it's not just David McCormick. It was just the circumstances surrounding the position that he played, who he followed and sort of where the Jayhawks were at that time. But I, I do concede the fact he's playing great basketball right now. And I, I, I'll say it again. He needs to be good in March for the Jayhawks to be able to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and then last but not least about Kansas, before we we move on, um, senior night was on Saturday night against Baylor. It was announced that Mitch Lightfoot and Chris Tehan will be returning to the Jayhawks for another season. Uh, and Let's Mitch go. Lightfoot, it'll be, Lightfoot. The, it'll be the sixth season for Mitch Lightfoot in a Kansas jersey. No word yet on Marcus Garrett, although I'm sure most people are thinking he's probably going to be moving on after this season. He did give a senior night speech, but he has not announced one way or another if he'll be returning for that extra season or if he'll be moving on. Um, it just kind of depends upon you know who's coming in for Kansas, what the lineup looks like, what the rotation looks like, on whether or not we'll see much out of Mitch Lightfoot next year. I've been super critical of him throughout the course of the season. He did have some clutch minutes against Against Baylor late in the game in the second half, uh, I think he played four minutes and had like four points and a block and uh, played really, really well. The, took a charge. The best minutes by far we've seen from Mitch Lightfoot this season when it mattered most uh, against the Baylor Bears. Any thoughts on those guys returning or thoughts on Marcus Garrett potentially not coming back? Perry Ellis is off the hook for jokes at KC yeah. and the old guy. God bless you, Perry Ellis. You're off the hook. Mitch has just been beloved in Lawrence for the last five years so why not why not go ahead and, and make it a six my wife and i were having a conversation about him though he's a fantastic guy to have you know in the program and, and even coming back next year even if he's playing five minutes a game because he's he's a guy that you know whoever it is you know if david mccormick was to get hurt you can trust Mitch Lightfoot in there to not screw things up, right? I mean, yeah, you're not running an offense through Mitch Lightfoot, but he goes in, he knows that he's supposed to set screens, rebound, you know, and, and attempt to play good defense. He has just limitations with his athletic ability, but he won't screw things up and he knows what he's doing. So he's the great guy to have on the bench that you can trust to, to, to plug in, whether someone's in foul trouble or someone gets hurt. Um, so anytime you can bring that back for a sixth year in the program, you got to have it, right? Absolutely. And so again, it, go ahead. I was just going to add, I was just going to add, he won't be getting a medical degree. I think I heard he's a <laughs> economics major uh, followed by getting a, um, a master's in sports management. So not a doctor in be, economics. Yeah, I guess the PhD route. That's true. Doc, Dr. Lightfoot. Here we go. I love it. So, of course, like I mentioned, the Jayhawks are back inside Allen Fieldhouse for the last regular season game of the season as they take on UTEP on Thursday night. Blake, I know it's your favorite part of the show. I am going to hit the music. It is time for our Wichita whip around. 
And, you know, I was going to, I was going to have these two topics be separate from the Wichita whip around, but I figured we would include it all in, talk about everything together. So we're going to talk about state wrestling. We're going to talk about sub-state basketball in the Wichita area. We've got other Wichita topics. And so Blake Cripps, I will start with you. What is your Wichita whip around story today? So my Wichita whip around story um, is not high school related, but I do have thoughts on that. Uh, have you guys been paying attention to the Wichita Thunder lately? Ooh, they came yes. back in their last game from 4-0 down. They beat Rapid City in overtime 5-4. to They trailed 4-0 with about 11 minutes left in the second period. Spencer Dorowitz and Malzey, I beg your pardon if I'm getting that name wrong, uh, scored to get the Thunder on the board, added a goal by Anthony Bjorgard in the third. Back-to-back goals by Dean Stewart, one with 141 left, the other with 38 seconds left, and then Patrick Parkonen, they play seven-minute overtime in the ECHL with 21 seconds left. He scores the game-winner golden goal for the Thunder. They're 17-6-3. They're fourth in the ECHL, second in the West behind only Fort Wayne, and the Comets have basically shown up for a cup of coffee at work this year. They've played nine games. The Wichita Thunder have played 26. So the Comets being ahead of the Thunder in the standings, sure, I'm sure the math works that way, but that's a joke. Wichita Thunder are the best team in the division. They have got the Utah Grizzlies for a two-game set, 7.05 Friday and Saturday at Interest Bank Arena, the Wichita Thunder. It's my Wichita whip around. We are well overdue. We need to have Jason Mals back on the program to give a Wichita Thunder update. We got to do that uh, here soon to talk more about what's going on with hockey in Wichita. It's starting to get exciting there. Weston Mills, what is your Wichita whip around story today? Yeah, so uh, you kind of touched on it. I wanted to talk a little bit about state wrestling. Uh, So we have um, a couple of, of teams in the area that uh, won, won some state wrestling uh, in class uh, 5A, the Goddard Lions took first place. And that is just a wrestling factory over there. I mean, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't have the number in, in front of me, but they it seems that they win state every single year. Uh, so also move on just about, uh, I don't know, 10 miles, maybe 15 miles north in Andale, Kansas. The Andale boys won the 4A state wrestling again. Um, and it's kind of same thing there. How That's a fact that they win all the time. How did I, hey, how did I know that you were going to bring up Andale winning state wrestling? How did I know that? <laughs> you know what? And they had a handful of, of single um, of, of actual state champions themselves. But one I wanted to mention is uh, Hector Saratos. And let me, I want to get Saratos his weight Hector Saratos won state I think he's a three-time state state champion now but the reason I want to bring him up is he also was the nose guard for the Andel High School state championship football team and I'm pretty sure he wrestles at I'm, I'm trying to find it here I think he wrestles at 152 he wrestles at 152 and was the nose guard for the football team so shout out to Andel shout out wow. to Goddard um, Mays High School also took they took second in 5A state um, I'm sure I'm missing. Uh, there's a whole handful, and maybe Tommy, you have more on this. I don't know um, about some individual winners from around the metro, yeah. but uh, uh, some some big time programs that the Wichita Metro has for for boys wrestling. 
Yeah, I've got a few and, you know, this is not a complete list. It's not an exhaustive list by any means. But in 6A, Topeka, Washburn Rural up in Blake's hometown and that in his neck of the woods, they won the team title for 6A boys. There was not a Wichita. Yeah, there there was not a Wichita area team that uh, came in first, second or third when it comes to 6A. But there are some individual medalists in the 106 weight class. Cody Woods of Derby came in second place in the one uh, when the one, I guess, 113 and 120 no Wichita area uh, kids. Same with, uh, I guess, in 126, third place, Dylan Scheller of Campus High School. Uh, he came in third. Uh, Jacob Reimer of Campus came in third place in the 132 in that weight division. Um, and then Nathan Bowen of Campus came in first place, 145. Case and Lindsay of Derby, first place in the 152-pound weight class uh, and also in 160-pound. That's really the, those are the main local, uh, as far as boys are concerned in 6A, 5A. I know you had mentioned Goddard won the state title. Uh, there's a handful of guys like Nikhalen Shabazz of Mays. He came in first place in the 113 pound weight class. Jaden Miller of Goddard came in third place in that same weight class in the 120 pound weight class. I wanted to bring this up from Cape and Mount Carmel high school. First place, Bubba Wright. And the reason I want to bring up Bubba Wright, you guys, is because he came in first place in the 120-pound weight class. And if your name is Bubba, you need to be (laughs) way more than 120 pounds. But shout out to Bubba Miller for coming in first place in in that weight class. That's uh, a heavyweight name, not not a flyweight name. Exactly. In uh, from Cape and Mount Carmel High School. So, yeah, again, not an exhaustive list. And we really haven't gotten into girls wrestling at all either. Uh, but a, a lot of, you know, well-deserving kids in the Wichita area getting their medals right there. Um, any hey, other thoughts quick, on state wrestling yeah. from you guys? Real quick. Uh, it's the seventh straight 5A title, I believe, for the Goddard boys. They had a pair of brothers, Jace and Jordan Wright, that won 5A titles at 152 and 145. And shout out to the Lady Skins of Wichita North. They were yeah. second in girls wrestling. So they're just trying to build a program there. Obviously, next year they'll be competing under a new mascot or maybe you think the year after that. But uh, for Wichita North, fantastic job for them at, at state wrestling to come up. And, and obviously they've established themselves as the power in the city league and city league girls wrestling. Absolutely. And so my out. Wichita whip around story. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say shout out to Tim Fisher, the uh, the coach over at uh, the Goddard rest, uh, men's wrestling program over there, who was also my seventh and eighth grade football coach. So, uh, you know, been part of that excellence oh. for a while. You know, always got to tie, make some ties back in, guys. It's, it's always about Weston. It always is. It's always not the, it's not the Weston whip around, okay? It's not the Weston yeah. whip around. It's the Wichita whip around. Wow, exactly. So my uh, my Wichita whip my Wichita whip around story is getting into substate basketball in the Wichita area, and you know we've got a lot more to talk about basketball wise when we get a little bit further into the state tournament, and we can talk about matchups and things like that. There are a lot of matchups going on right now in substate or have gone on already. So I want to handpick one. Uh, marquee matchup on both the boys' side and the girls' side. We'll start on the boys' side. So Derby, they beat Wichita Southeast. They overcame an eight-point deficit to move on in Substate. Final score of that game was 55-50. to 50. Southeast actually outscored Derby in the first half. 
and then of course, you know, like I said, Derby was able to overcome that eight point deficit. Kobe Smith uh, for Southeast scored 16 points uh, and Caleb Wilson uh, also added 14 for Southeast as well. But Amari Thomas for Derby came in strong and helped Derby close the gap. Uh, he scored 16 points for the Panthers. So shout out to Derby as they move on on the boys side in substate basketball. And then Blake, I know you're going to probably have a lot more knowledge than I do when it comes to, of course, this rivalry, because you know all about it. But on the girls side, Capen stunned Bishop Carroll. It was from what a lot of people are saying, the most loaded substate in class 5A. uh, And they needed to beat their rival at their own place. Cape and Mount Carmel did to move on. They did that. They beat the Golden Eagles by a score of 59 to 48. So not only a a huge win for Capen to move on, but of course that's a rivalry win too. Anytime Cape and Mount Carmel can beat Bishop Carroll is a big deal. So uh, Blake, what are your thoughts on, on the girls side, Cape and getting that win against Bishop Carroll? Well, congratulations to to my guy who I worked with while we were together uh, at Allied Media Partners. Coach Billy Graff had a chance to call a lot of his games. And, you know, it's not easy to try to live up to Cape. And they won back-to-back City League Championships 2013-2014 under the previous coach. And, that they, I mean, that was at the time when the City League was really rolling. South was in the middle of it. And so Carroll this year was fantastic. Like, like we brought them up earlier uh, on a previous win around how good coach Dugan has been doing with that program. I really hate how some of these these substates are just so unbalanced. I mean, and there's one on the boys side that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I believe it's 5A number 3 at Andover Central. The, the by the way, as you're watching or listening to this podcast, the games are actually going on as we've been doing the show. Most of the games were tipping tonight as we're doing the show at 6 or 7 or 7.30, whatever they are. Arkansas City, 14-6, and six, going to Bishop Carroll tonight, 17-2 and two on the boys' side. And 15-5, and five, Cape and Mount Carmel, by the way, they lost their coach during the middle of the year. So great job by the Crusaders. They had to go to Andover at 17-2. and two, And we've got the KSHSAA making sure that the officials know that it's a tactical foul if the uh, players are throwing up a three sign to celebrate threes or if they're doing the <laughs> bow and arrow. We can't have that. That's a technical foul. And a sportsmanlike conduct like that cannot be tolerated at this level. What are we doing? KSHSAA, that's the most garbage, dumpster fire opinion that I have ever, ever heard. Be there for the kids. It's not about you. They want. They always want to make it about them, but it's not. Do what's best for the kids and stop teeing them up for celebrating and having fun. It's a game. I, I hated seeing that this week, Tommy. Hated it. Well, you know, you talked about how loaded some of the brackets are in Substate, and it doesn't get any easier for Cape and Mount Carmel. Their reward for taking down their rival, Bishop Carroll, is a game against top-ranked Andover Central. The Jaguars won their 42nd straight game overall, beating their rival Andover. Final score of that game God. was 68-33. to So that is the reward that Cape and Mount Carmel gets on Friday night when they play in the state quarterfinal round. So we'll, of course, have more updates on what's happening with 
uh, state basketball as the games go on. As Blake mentioned, there are plenty of games that are tipping off as we're recording the show. We don't have final scores at the time of this recording, but as you're watching and listening, you'll probably be able to see that. So we'll have an update on that on the next episode of Keeper of the Games. Any other Wichita whip around stories for either of you guys? I don't, but I will give a shout out. I want to. I do want to give a shout out to Wichita Southeast girls basketball. They are in the substate, fourteen and five. They're playing South five and fourteen. So Southeast hosting as we started the show at seven o'clock. They were hosting the Golden Buffaloes when I showed up to Wichita. They were bad. They were a bad city league team. They're fourteen and five this year. Okay, and the city league. I know that South has fallen, come way down from the mountain that Coach Scales perched them on, but. Southeast basketball up there able to compete with Wichita Heights. Wichita East, 11-6 and six this year. They had had some really bad stretches. So full credit to Wichita Southeast for having, you know, completely changing the culture of their program this year. I, I really want the Golden Buffaloes to be recognized because on the girls' side, you know, they're always an afterthought because the boys, and I believe Southeast actually lost in the first round of their sub-state, but the girls have always been an afterthought basketball. They're the top dogs over there this year. Southeast girls basketball, congratulations on a fantastic season. And uh, I mean, they'll have a chance to play. I believe they'll have a chance to play Derby or possibly. Yeah, I think it'll be Derby uh, in the for the right to go to state. So Derby, I mean, you guys know about that. And it's Coach Karsak's last year there. And she's kind of built up that program into a dynasty. She's headed to Kansas City. Her husband's taking a job. I'm just warning the Kansas City schools, don't let her end up at someone who's your rival because she will find a head coaching job up there. I'm just telling you, you do not want Coach Karzak to be at your rival school. It's going to be a long and miserable decade for you if you don't get Coach Karzak at your school. So I don't know what you need to do. Buy her a car, buy them a house, put them in a new (laughs) pool, but you don't want her coaching against your team. I just promise you that. Fair warning there from uh, from Blake Weston. Any more Wichita Whippers stories for you? In Kansas City, uh, no, no, nothing more from me. I do my my perfect streak is has come to an end. I do have a correction to make. I know everybody's wow. going to be astonished. We want a full year of the podcast with me not making any ah. mistakes whatsoever. <laughs> The time has come, and not only that, the, the mistake was actually about Andel. So I, I mentioned I, I gave a. I, I know it's been a, it's been a golden golden year, guys. It's 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 done. But uh, I mentioned Hector Hector Ceratos, who who won state for Andel. Um, he actually wrestles at 126 pound weight class huh. and was the nose guard on the uh, the football team, which is even more mind blowing. That uh, I'm sure he probably plays football about 152, um, but wrestles at 126 and then was the nose guard on the uh, state championship football team. So I did want to make that correction. Blake, how about you? Any additions, retractions, or corrections? Absolutely. I don't want you to feel left out, Tommy. I know you felt like I really picked on you last week. Weston, correction. You said that the margin <laughs> of victory does not matter. It is actually the fifth element of the NET formula. Margin of victory really? does matter for teams in terms of their net rating. It. it is the oh um, – that's a verifiable fact. Um, it well, is Just because the, it's there doesn't mean they pay attention to it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they just fell <laughs> into a formula. You know, they made a big deal out of it on the internet and stuff. But, you know, I, I'm, it's probably just fake. It is the – least uh, important category but it is a category margin of victory is in the net weston 
Oh, but that's in the net. That's not the selection committee. The selection committee doesn't just look at the net and go, election, you're in, you're in, you're selection in. Selection committee uses the net. It's the primary oh, okay. metric that they use. No, please. That's, I'm sticking to that. That is not a correction. Perfect it is year not a factor. You. you haven't been perfect it's not in these last two minutes, much less the, the last year. I know because I, because I messed up on the Hector Ceratos thing. So there's my correction. Oh, okay. I'm, I get it. I'm not perfect anymore. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we didn't have to worry about that for, for sure. <laughs> so, so I don't have any sort of corrections. I don't have any sort of retractions. I do have an addition and it didn't fit anywhere else in the show. So I just thought I would throw it out there right now. I'm sure that you guys saw the news. Uh, and I'm, I, I guarantee you Weston has because he's wearing the shirt. But Gerard Dyson has agreed to a deal to return to Kansas City, a uh, one-year deal for Dyson. He will earn $1.5 million coming back to KC because, as we all know, that's what, that's speed, what speed do. do. That's what speed do, baby. Billy so Butler. That is my, exactly. That is my <laughs> yeah. addition. That's my addition here on this episode of Keeper of the Games. And I think that's going to wrap up our program. Uh, before we came on the air, Weston said, guys, I think it's going to be a really short show. I don't think we have much to talk <laughs> about this week. And uh, it never it never actually happens that way. So uh, we uh, we appreciate you listening to this episode. Want to remind you to hit subscribe again. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode, you'll be notified. Again, you can listen on all streaming platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major ones. You can watch full episodes on our YouTube channel by searching for Keeper of the Games. Also search for us there on YouTube uh, and on Facebook at Keeper of the Games and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G-Pod. Weston, your Twitter handle, please. At WMills94. Blake, how about you? For our amazing audio listeners, at B-E-Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S. Well, and you can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. Next week on the program, I will graciously slide my seat over and Blake (laughs) Cripps will take the mantle once again as the host of Keeper of the Games. I'm looking forward to having another week off where I can just kick my feet up, sit back, relax, and let Blake host the program. So that will be next week as we have more March Madness talk and a whole lot more on the program. You won't want to miss it. For Blake Cripps, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been checking out Keeper of the Games. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.